And hello and welcome to the Jiu-Jitsu Times video podcast. I am Chris Zahar and I have a very special guest on the line right now, Master Carlos Machado, one of the legends and of course a member of the world famous Machado Brothers. How are you today, Master? Well, I can't complain, Chris. I just finished uh, teaching a class and uh, I do what I love and I was actually giving a testimonial earlier. You know, when you love what you do, you just don't feel time, you don't feel age. I'm always on the mat, active, working out, uh, taking care of my body, and above all, trying to grow, still grow my jiu-jitsu. Of course, of course, yeah, and it's just a constant journey, no matter how high you are up there, huh? Uh, I think I, I feel like we're always beginners in terms of the amount of knowledge, uh, and I don't try to learn more. I try to improve what I already have, and in doing so, it makes it easier for me to actually uh, break down all the other moves, whatever they are. You know, it's just kind of, it's amazing. It's a transformation. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. All right, so um, the first thing I wanted to talk to you today about was, um, I suppose you couldn't say not too recently. When was it, about two years ago or even less that uh, you and your brothers were on the set of uh, John Wick 2, correct? Yeah, only recently, though, did videos start popping up about it, though, so I think that's why yeah. a lot of people were confused about how long ago it was. Okay, yeah. all right, so, I mean, how did that go? How, how was it training uh, Keanu Reeves on the set of John Wick? All right, so what happens with Keanu, he's a hands-on actor. Mm -hmm. You know, if you notice, a, a lot of the stunts and the fight scenes, he's the man. Yeah. He's the one that does it, you know, he's the shooting and everything. He was always going to gun ranges. They have the place that you might have heard, the 8711, yeah. which is uh, an amazing concept. Uh, Shad, one of the fellows that is a director and producer, was involved with the production. He, um, you know, he idealized that, and my brother Hegan was instrumental uh, because, uh, you know, he kind of put together... Uh, you know, some of the jiu-jitsu, and then they have a, a whole group of stunt people that uh, are ongoing training, you know, and they're versed in several different martial arts. But Keanu himself, he spent quite, a, quite some time on the mat doing, you know, a lot of the sweeps, the triangles, and mixing up what uh, they call gun jitsu. <laughs> you know, it's just like he will just kind of exploit you know, the fact that he's a, a professional, you know, assassin, and, you know, it's quite interesting and entertaining to see the product beforehand, you know, all the scenes and stuff. Uh, Keanu's a very humble guy, too. He's very low-key. Um, when I first saw him, he was wearing a gi with him. I gave him a gi, he had a machado gi. My brother Higgin was, out of us, the one that actually had more contact with Keanu. Uh, and... Did this uh, PR with me and my other brothers that we came along uh, at, at 8711, and each of us, the brothers, taught Keanu a particular move. Uh, and uh, also, in my in my, on my turn, I taught him a lot about the breathing. Because he was kind of, before he got to us, he was probably working out for at least 40 minutes. And he was there at a good pace, so he was already pumping and puffing. You know, by the time he got, he got to us, can you imagine that you are you are like a 40 minutes of workout and then you have to wrestle? 
Yeah, the Machado brothers. That's got to be intense. Yeah. yeah. I heard so, he's a really intense guy, though. Like, he really puts his heart into that jiu-jitsu. It wasn't just like, you know, some of these guys, they just want to learn jiu-jitsu for the role and stuff like that. But he just, uh, from what I was reading about him and from what I was, um, just based on uh, what I heard from him during some of his interviews, he was just really into it. He was intense about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. The, thing, the thing, that's what he does with everything. Mm-hmm. You know, when he has a role, he will immerse on that role. And with the jiu-jitsu, uh, you know, the, but the thing with the, the production of the movie they cater towards specializing yeah. his knowledge, towards building up his skills uh, to the movements and the techniques that were to be used on mm-hmm. the screen. You know, so it's not like he was going through a, a regular jiu-jitsu script uh, or session that you would normally do in a martial arts studio. You know, you, mm-hmm. you kind of have a... Can you hear me all right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so he has the script and then he has the stunt choreographer that will you know JJ is one of the guys right there who actually worked in the Texas Ranger mm-hmm. uh, well, way back when Chuck Norris used to do the show here that's yeah. another story how small the world is um, I have a, one of my former students Mike he was uh, he's, he's a black belt now under Eric Paulson mm-hmm. he was the one that spent the most time with uh, Keanu other than my brother Hegan and all the crew uh, at uh, 87-11, mm-hmm. uh, me and my brother, uh, the other brothers, we, we came there, you know, for that session with him. And in terms of intensity, uh, Keanu, he literally, he's in his own world when he's working out for the movies. You know, he's 100% focused. He listens to everything. He's a fast learner. And he doesn't leave margin for error. He really tries to practice, do as many reps as necessary. If a regular jiu-jitsu student had the discipline and the intensity of a Keanu Reeves on the regular jiu-jitsu practice, man, I think the level of jiu-jitsu will be at another level because he is 100% dedicated. And bear with me, though, that because of his career and all the different roles that occasionally he plays here and there, um, you know, things change depending on what movie he's working on. So he has to actually cater towards spending the time on building up whatever he needs for the role that he's going to perform. That's one of the traits of great actors. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, uh, and he's a very humble guy, very playful, tactful. He, he doesn't have any... Uh, Kind of like, you know, you meet celebrities sometimes and different people, they act uh, in different ways, like they're more, you know, they're superior, they're this and that. Man, he's so low-key. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a great time. Oh, that's awesome. And how did you guys get involved in that? I mean, like, did the producers call you up? Did Keanu yeah, he, he get, My brother, Hegan, he knows everybody in Hollywood, you know, and he was uh, friends with Chad, who was... And one of the main guys behind the whole project, and uh, you know, and and they he became quite present. He went to New York for the, you know, some of the scenes that were filmed over there on location, mm-hmm. and uh, he invited us over uh, because we had more than one one thing that we we're doing. Uh, when we went there, 
Uh, we had the presentation with Kyle Lapis in the afternoon. We had, uh, what else we had? We had uh, uh, an interview with a, a sports channel, Sensei, which mm-hmm. is a big, it's like, like an ESPN type uh, yeah. channel in Brazil. Mm-hmm. You know, they cover a lot of martial arts and sports. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, uh, so in Keanu was uh, the main thing. We were there at 7 a.m. in the morning, sharp, you know, and we spent probably like three or four hours over there. Uh, and we got to see firsthand some of the work that he had done. Uh, some, you know, my brother Higgins had had, you know, some input on it, but he had quite a few other people in addition to that were uh, hands-on with him for the entire time, you know. So he was uh, really, you know, I think he, he was practicing probably, you know, five, six times, you know, wow. seven times a week. Wow. Like 24-7 seven. kind of guy. Yeah. So Hegan, Hegan invited us over. We had several other engagements, but Keanu was, was the main purpose of the trip. And we wanted to be there for him, and he was great. You know, he, we talked about his motorcycle business. He does custom-made bikes. You know, uh, he, he actually came with his bike. And incredible piece, you know, customized. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow. So you kind of get to see the behind-the-scenes you know, a personality, you know, the, the stuff that he liked, that he has fun with, you know. He's a very enjoyable guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it sounds like it. He sounds like just like an awesome student. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great. That's great. Yeah, mm-hmm. Now, um, one thing I've been seeing a lot more of is Brazilian jiu-jitsu in movies. I mean, have you noticed that? Have you noticed that you're just seeing a lot more grappling, a lot more BJJ? In movies and stuff like for sure yeah i mean before yeah. it was kind of dominated by like this kung fu style a lot of kicking a lot of punching uh-huh. but i remember a uh-huh. while ago i was watching the first um sherlock holmes movie the one with uh, robert downey jr and the movie yeah. takes place in the 19th century but you got robert downey jr doing an arm bar on a guy yeah <laughs> interesting yeah. yeah um mm-hmm. what do you usually think about the jujitsu uh when you see jujitsu in movies are you kind of like excited that jiu-jitsu is in movies or you kind of well, like that's not how you do an arm bar that's not how you do a rear naked choke what the hell well uh, let's put the, the three things here one let's go, let's backtrack uh hugh jackman when he did the real steel do you yeah. remember that movie i didn't see it yeah yeah okay so there's an interesting passage there all right uh one of the scenes uh he's taking his uh son to the junkyard because the robots are the fighters of the future. People would solve their, you know, disputes and, you know, the competition like the MMA became done by robots. They would be trained with the software. So if you're a fighter, you emulate with the robots the style of fight that you do. Yep. And then the robot, you know, has an MMA fight against another robot and all that stuff. And he was taking his son, Hugh Jackman's character, mm-hmm. to the junkyard. And then he was saying, back in the old days, used to be with people. And then you had Jiu-Jitsu with the Machados and the Gracies. So he kind of threw that uh, dialogue mm-hmm. in the midst of the scene. And none of us knew, uh, because we, we didn't get a chance to, we didn't work on that movie. Mm-hmm. But we had no idea that on the screenplay, on the script, that they had used that line. And uh, it's funny because I, I took my kids. I already knew about that because Egan saw the premiere. And he was there with some of his buddies, you know, in Hollywood, just watching the movie. And then all of a sudden, you know, that scene takes place 
and all his friends are looking at him like, did you hear that? Did you hear what he said? The machados, you know, the crazies, and blah, blah, blah. Like, uh, you know, jujitsu. And so I took my kids, uh, but I never told them about it. You know, I got four kids, three boys and a girl. Mm-hmm. And my boys came with me, and I was sitting there, and then, lo and behold, the scene takes place, and I don't say anything. They hear it. It takes like a few seconds for them to register. And then one of them asked, Dad, is he, did he say Machado? I said, yeah, Machado and Jiu-Jitsu, you know, and... and so it was referring to our family. Mm-hmm. So and so it's kind of like uh, jujitsu has become mainstream a long time ago. Yeah. But uh, because now we have more choreographers that have come with also with a jujitsu background, you know, many of the guys from eighty seven eleven have black belts in jujitsu that actually are part of their crew. So uh, it becomes an easier transition because then you have the director, you know kind of giving them the description of how they want the fights to be and the stunt coordinator adapts with the guns and the weapons and the grappling. I really enjoyed When I first saw the first John Wick, you know, I, I, I didn't know much what to expect. Uh, and then when I saw the fights, I said, man. And, and it's interesting because that movie kind of puts Keanu back on the map. Yeah. Until that movie came up, he was kind of like still doing some projects here and there, but nothing major. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. and uh, man, that, that's amazing. And it's a good plot, you know, just a little simple. And yeah, you know, but nowadays, I think Brazilian uh, Jiu-Jitsu has entered into the mainstream because there's a better understanding from the professionals in the movie business about how to gather the material that they can put together. Like when we first uh, we. There was one Batman, I think it was the first or second Batman, when Michael Keaton was still the, the actor. Mm-hmm. And we had a stunt coordinator coming to our gym. This was in the early 90s, oh, wow. when we had our first gym. And he was going to every martial arts school and kind of asking us oh, some ideas here and there. What do we do here? What do we do there? And, you know, and, and then he would film, you know, some of the things that each of us showed. And, uh, and I'm not going to say names, but uh, after all, I never heard from the guy. And then we came to see the movie, and lo and behold, a lot of the scenes that we practiced in our own studio with the guy were on the movie, you know? And so we learned a lesson. You know, when, when my brother John uh, helped out uh, Steven Seagal in Under Siege 2, one of the things that was made sure that we, we learned was, like, make sure that we put our name out there get the credits at least, give us the credit, which, you know, they did. Uh, but that's the thing about, in, in this business, and I'm not trying to bash anything, it is the nature of the beast, uh, it's not just the fact that you have a martial art that uh, can be used in an exciting way on fight scenes, in addition to the standard striking arts like Kung Fu and kickboxing and so on, uh, but there's also that dynamic of if you're not experienced or if you don't have the connections, you know, you may be taken advantage of as anything else. And get your product out there without being given any of the recognition. You know, so, like I remember a little weapon, for instance, the first uh, that uh, Mel Gibson did with Danny Glover, and you had Gary Bruzzi doing the tri- uh, getting caught in the triangle mm-hmm. at, at the end of one of the fight scenes. You know, I remember when... Uh, Horry, my cousin, you know, was one of the guys that uh, 
was part of the, you know, the people that were consulting with the, the group of that did the stunt coordination. So it, it was kind of like, it goes way back. It just took time a bit to, you know, I think nowadays with the USC's and the mixed martial arts and everything else, it just has become a major component, whether from the, you know, reality fighting or, I believe, motion picture as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, who gets you uh, guys involved in most of these movies? Uh, is it your brother, Hegan? Because I know he has, he, his gym is in Beverly Hills, isn't it? He has yeah. a gym there, yeah. Hegan uh, is uh, instructor of the stars. Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. You that, can you hear me? Yep, I got it. Uh, he's instructor of the stars. Yeah. You know, a, a good friends with Ashton Kutcher. Mm -hmm. You know, he has so many guys out there that uh, have been, you know, uh, Charles Hunden from uh, Sons of Anarchy. And, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't even know. I, I, I have to actually go through his Facebook. I know Vin Diesel took him to the set when he was with Jason Stratton. You know, he yeah. was doing some consulting there. You know, me here, I have more of a relationship had with Chuck Norris mm. when he was active with the Walker Texas Rangers yeah. show. And, uh, you know, but nowadays, uh, we have enough of a knowledge of the industry which is too cutthroat. You're going to have different people, you know, if given the opportunity, try to take advantage of one another. Mm -hmm. But uh, at least we have a reach that uh, we, we can do some shortcuts that the average person would have to stretch a little bit more before they would get there. You know, mm -hmm. so, yeah, yeah, definitely that's a reality there. Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit about um, how you guys uh, got on uh, Walker, Texas Ranger? Because they actually, they still show reruns of that show. Um, yeah. I forget the channel or something. Um, but um, I actually, y y your episode, the episode where you and your brother starred in, that was on, I want to say, a couple weeks ago. And, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, how, how did you guys get involved in that? Did uh, Chuck Norris himself right. say, hey, we, I want to showcase this art? Because yeah. jiu-jitsu really wasn't uh, very well known then. I mean, yeah, yeah. so, I mean, most people... Well, Chuck started. Norris has been one of the greatest advocates of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, mm -hmm. period, and a great supporter, uh, in particular of my family, the Machados. You know, he is the reason I came to Texas. Uh, he used to live in Los Angeles. I traveled all over with Chuck. I was his main instructor. Mm. So a lot of times he would do a movie. He traveled to Israel, did a movie called Hellbound, and took me there to uh, be with him on the set. And he was doing jiu-jitsu. He had the suite with mats. I, was, I would go and train him. Benio Rikides at the time would train him in the kickboxing. So we were there with him, you know, back then, you know. And uh, one of the things is uh, when he, the show started, uh, the TV show was in 1992. Mm -hmm. So it took me three years before I came to Texas. And my first school was actually inside his TV studio. He had a huge warehouse that was uh, where they would film all the indoor scenes for his show. And uh, basically, I had my gym right there. You know, I, I had one of the rooms where I would put wrestling mats. I had a desk. And that's how he went. And uh, I remember... As uh, I added a lot of new members coming in, new students, eventually when they do this, did the scenes in, in, inside the, the studio, I'd have a red buzzer, a red light buzzer that you would always buzz anytime they were actually doing a shot. And uh, we had to make the students be quiet. Okay, you can wrestle, but don't yell, don't talk. You know, so I was doing the class in, in certain occasions. 
with, I couldn't talk. I had to demonstrate kind of like whispering and stuff. And of course, that as time went by, we decided to kind of, you know, branch out from there. I got my own location. Chuck still would come and train with me wherever I went. And uh, I was still, I, I took part in so many episodes of his shows. Uh, my brothers did that particular one with me. But, you know, because they were in L.A., they didn't get a chance to come and do as many. When I first started in Texas, I came in 1995, I probably worked on Walker, Texas Ranger, every week. Mm. I was doing something because Chuck actually, he hooked me up with the show to kind of help me make some money Mm -hmm. uh, until my school was built enough, you know, that I didn't need to work so much. You know, it was, I mean, that's the kind of guy, how many guys you know, you know, it's very gracious guy, very genuine. Mm-hmm. And uh, lo- he loves martial arts. He would love. He loved jujitsu. His main choke was. Uh, his main move was the the cross lapel choke from the guard. You know, I remember one time I was doing a seminar to his black belts in Las Vegas, all his karate students, which normally he would have. I kid you not, Chris. Over a thousand people attending the seminar. Jesus. He was like in this huge convention room, and we had no mat. It was carpet. So we had to actually grapple. You know how we used to do back in the old days? Just like the way we taught jiu-jitsu was doing a seminar. You just have to wrestle whoever shows up and tap every single person. That's how we we tried to actually, you know, teach everybody about Mm jiu-jitsu. Nowadays we're more diplomatic because everybody knows jiu-jitsu. You don't want to go for a a war every time you teach a seminar. I still enjoy learning whoever. But uh, anyhow, and Chuck Norris, uh, he was actually... um, you know, wrestling all the guys, too. He was a blue belt then, I remember. And, uh, man, he was just going, and he wrestled like five or six or seven different guys, and he was stepping everybody the same way. He would pull guard, hold the guys down, and do the choke, and then went from there. I have to say something about Chuck Norris. You know, he had different students that had different abilities. Mm-hmm. He had photographic memory. Wow. If you taught him a move once, that's all he took. Mm-hmm. He would just learn right off the bat and start using it right away. Wow. It would, I, I think that if he had a chance to do jiu-jitsu at an earlier time in his life, a little, you know, uh, when he was a little younger, <laughs> who knows what kind of grappler you, he would have become because yeah. he was extremely talented and very fast learner. Mm. You know, so, uh, but uh, we had a great time. I mean, Chuck, uh, I, I occasionally talked get in touch with him, but now he's retired, lives with his family, he still has uh, a set of twins, I think they're 17 years old, um, mm-hmm. you know, so, you know, uh, I'm good friends with his son, Eric, Eric Norris, he works uh, with uh, Agents of the Shield, and uh, he's, I think, one of the assistant directors or mm-hmm. stunt coordinators, and a great guy, you know, he's always involved in different productions. Very gracious person, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll tell you, man, it was a great time when uh, when I first came to Texas. Great time. Yeah, absolutely. You think his judo background helped him? Because I believe he was a judo black belt before he started do, doing uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Do you think that uh, helped him yeah, out he, a lot with his, his uh, moves? Or did he just kind of have yeah. this, like, just natural ability to uh, yeah. do really well, well? He was always inquisitive about any martial arts. When he was in Korea, if you watch his, read his biography, some of his books, uh, he, he kind of relays how everything went through his life, and then when he was stationed in Korea, 
mm-hmm. he got exposed to, uh, to to grappling, to judo. He was doing judo mm-hmm. while he was there, you know, and uh, he became good friends with Jim Abel at the time, was in the peak of his uh, judo uh, career and stuff, and, uh, you know, so, so he, he, he was not uh, lame when it comes to grappling, but of course, you know, the technicality of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and all the transitions, he didn't have then all the grasp, you know, uh, that, uh, you know, Jiu-Jitsu offers. And, and for him, I think, too, the fact that he was an actor full-time and stuff, he didn't want to get hit in the face when he was doing sparring, you know, he had to do control sparring, more like, a, you know, just practicing the kicks and stuff. Mm-hmm. And grappling became a perfect tool for him because, you know, he wouldn't get any bruises or anything, and then uh, he would just kind of, you know, could practice as hard as he wanted and still be okay to film afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know? So it was great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's, of course, why a lot of people do nowadays uh, love Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu so much. It's an effective martial art, but it has a very uh, low um, injury risk. Well, it depends how you train. No, even Jiu-Jitsu, though, if you... Um, if if you go hard all the time, mm-hmm. it's not that you may get hurt uh, with an injury because of the training, although it can happen, mm-hmm. but you're going to wear out your body a little faster, you know, and uh, and pay a price for it, you know, if, uh, you know, because you, you, you need to, technique is, is number one, you know, you really have to focus on, you know, my, my whole concept of jiu-jitsu today is evasion. All I train most of the time is not submission. I try to submit the guys as I escape from their submissions. You know, I feel it's a, it's, it's a game comfortable for me. I can take my time, you know, and, and it, it has longevity added to it. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a, that's just an amazing story about him. I, never, I I always knew that Chuck Norris was really good at martial arts. I never know he just had that uh, type of photographic memory or um, anything. Yeah, and you know, and uh, he didn't care about who he was going against. He he would train with anybody. Mm-hmm. You know I'm saying he was just like happy to roll. He was happy, man. Jiu-Jitsu for him was like. You know, but as everything else, you know, when he was doing the Walker Texas Rangers show, mm-hmm. there's some interesting scenes that he and I interacted. Uh, first time I ever passed out in front of a camera was actually <laughs> doing a fight scene with Chuck Norris. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I was wearing a collar uh, shirt, and in the particular scene, he gets me in somewhat of a, a collar, collar choke. Mm-hmm. And the camera is right on my face. And, and although he was not squeezing that hard, you know, a lot of times when you get caught in the choke, it's not the hardest choke that sometimes you pass out. It is the one that you feel you can get out of because sometimes you succumb to it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I'm here, and I know it. I said, man, he's putting enough pressure here that I start to feel lightheaded. But then I thought, you know what? Uh, if I pass out, that's what the scene is supposed to be. As long as he doesn't keep holding for too long so I don't peel my pants, I should be okay. <laughs> so uh, I kind of like, uh, I didn't actually pass out all the way, but I was completely dizzy uh-huh. by the time he let go. So I fell on the ground. And then uh, I told him, I kind of started, I do yoga breathing a lot. So I started doing some yoga breathing. Mm-hmm. And I kind of re- re- regained my consciousness. And, and then I told Chuck, I said, Chuck, next time you do, 
put pressure on my collarbone, not straight on my neck, because you constrained my breathing to a point that I passed out. And he was like, oh, man, I'm so sorry, you know, because he actually, he was very gracious with all the people that he would do fight scenes with. All the stunt guys loved Chuck Norris. Because he, he would kick you and stop the kick right in your face just enough to make believe that, you know, he, he, he never hurt the guys. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was amazing. You know, so it was cool, you know, to see that. Yeah. And, uh, but I can say uh, I did have the same issue uh, with Frank Shamrock. Frank uh, Shamrock, uh, there was an episode where it's in a prison. They had some sort of an underground MMA going on yeah. in a prison. Yep. And in the fight scene, Frank uh, Shamrock puts a chokehold on me, and the same thing happened. And I couldn't stop because the camera was right on me. And I almost, I, I kind of passed out, and then I got back up. And then I said, Frank, man, you choked me out there. Please put the pressure on the collarbone, not on the neck. I thought that I was already done with that thing. But anyhow, uh, just, uh, I guess uh, it's part of the trade, you know what I'm saying? Part of the business sometimes it happens. Yeah. So, but uh, it's so cool. Now, when uh, Chuck trained with you, um, did, did uh, was he just training privately with you, or was he training with all your other students? And uh, if he was training with all your other students, uh, how how did they act around him? Were they like, "Oh my God, that's Chuck Norris! Oh my God, I'm training with Chuck Norris"? Well, you know, when you're training with a, a celebrity, yeah. one of the issues that you have to take in consideration is in, in Chuck's case, you see, when you do a TV show, a TV show is like doing a movie every week. Mm -hmm. The amount of hours, you do 12 to 16 hours yeah. every day to produce 45 minutes worth of, uh, one hour worth of uh, footage for a Saturday Saturday night, you know, show. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, Just like absolutely. The amount of time, so, I mean, it's crazy. TV is so much harder. I'm not taking anything away from the guys that do the big productions on motion pictures. Mm -hmm. When you have a TV series, it's like doing a movie every week. And Chuck, literally, he couldn't afford to have anything going wrong with the training. Like if he, somebody bruised up his face, you know, if he got deep burned or anything like that, th th that could be an issue. Yeah. You know, and so I didn't want to risk having him practicing with somebody despite the fact, you know, most likely the students will be okay and, uh, you know, and, you know, be nice Chuck. Uh, you know, you don't want to, give any chance to chance. So, and plus his schedule. He had to do at times when he was available. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those times were not when I had classes. So, most of the time that we interacted on the map was based on privates. Mm -hmm. you know, most of the time. Yeah, he had quite a few. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, to sort of uh, switch the subject a little bit, um, uh, do you, did you watch uh, UFC 214? Yeah, the best, the best one? Uh, the last yeah. one, John Jones? Yeah, the John yeah, Jones one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, did you see Damian Maya's performance? Yeah, I did. Yeah. What, what did you think of that? I mean, did you think he was? I mean, he, he just. It seems like he just kept on going for the grappling, even though it just wasn't working. And then when he didn't have that, he just. I know he just didn't seem to have much anything else to, that he could use against Tyron Woodley. Mm -hmm. So you gotta understand uh, one thing. Uh, you know, because people from outside, of course, they have different opinions. Uh, when you're going to take somebody down, the best round to make that happen is the first round. Yeah. Because you're not 
fighting a guy who's as sweaty and slippery. Mm-hmm. And so the longer the rounds go, man, the more sweaty the guy is, the more elusive it is to kind of hold him down. Uh, I feel here, uh, from my perspective, I did see Tyrone holding the, the fence a couple of times. Yeah. You know, uh, and then in one of those times was the second time after he was warned the first time that if he did that again, he would have been taken points away. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's championship five. And uh, and the referee probably forgot that he warned Tyrone, so there was no uh, no action in regards to it. But he did visibly. If you really watch the fight, there will be two occasions where he <coughs> didn't fall because he did hold the the cage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think here the problem there was that Damien was trying to uh, do the takedowns when Tyrone was not close to the cage. Mm-hmm. You know, and so so he was just kind of turning around and kicking the leg out, the single leg skate. I feel the strategy uh, could, you know, if I could say something, you know, and it's easier said than done because you never mm-hmm. know what's going on in the guy's head and they're fighting each other. But uh, you have been more successful if he was able to uh, attempt most of those takedowns by pushing towards the cage instead of doing, uh, you know, in the, in, the, in the middle of the uh, octagon. Uh, I think uh, from a wrestling perspective, I had other uh, coaches watching, and uh, they say that you got to cut more corners when you do the shots, uh, you know, just to kind of engage more. But this is a technical question for a wrestling coach. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my perspective here, I think I, I commend Damien for his, uh, the fact that he was already there as a top contender yeah. to fight Tyrone. Uh, but it's very hard for you to fight someone who is always walking around and away from you and sweaty, you know, say, and trying to wait for you to give an opening for him to go with his power punch, which is a strategy that has been working for Tyrone. Mm-hmm. It's not exciting to watch sometimes from a different perspective. If you, you're watching the show, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you just want to see more action, you know, instead of somebody... So different people will have different opinions. Um, I think if the fight did go to the ground, of course, that's Damien Sporte, and I feel he probably have caused Tyrone a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. But uh, but uh, it is what it is, man. Uh, yeah. I mean, who knows? They may fight in the future. Tyrone, uh, you know, uh, it's one of those things. You know, we got to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, it definitely does yeah. say a, either a lot about jujitsu or a lot about um, just Damian Maya's um, uh, just his ability in jujitsu that uh, he's what is he about thirty nine years old or even forty? Yeah, he's to almost that. forty. Yeah. yeah, and he's able to um, just get that far in one of the most stacked divisions in the UFC. Just with his yeah. jujitsu, I mean, because uh, I, I really don't see him using much um, punching or kicking. He's well, he easy. did he did hit Tyrone a few times, mm-hmm. which I feel from a setup perspective, you know, uh, it seems like a, a, a good thing to add. You know, you kind of get the strikes, you know, and then the guy, you know, worries about your striking, and, and then you, you know, you shoot afterwards mm-hmm. instead of just going straight for the takedown, you know. I, I, it's kind of hard sometimes when you watch because you, you feel like the fight would have taken a new dimension mm-hmm. if they ever went down to the mat. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, 
But that's the thing, too, that you have to understand. The rules of the UFC today are not the same as they were in the very beginning. Yeah. Because uh, nowadays, you know, the rounds are five-minute rounds. Mm -hmm. Before, it was like the, the, you had, like, let's say three rounds of five compiled. So we had uh, either 50 minutes altogether. Mm -hmm. uh, excuse me. Mm -hmm. uh, can you hear yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Sorry. it froze up a little uh, bit, so, but that's okay. Yeah, sorry, that was a little So either you have 15 or 25 minutes in a row, no break. Mm -hmm. So if you're fighting, you're a jiu-jitsu fighter, and you don't have the break. And the other thing, too, if the fight goes down to the ground, the referees were not so uh, in a hurry to stand them back up. You know, they would give more time for more grappling to happen. But we're in an age of entertainment. Yeah. So people want to see knockout. They want to see action. I mean, I don't think UFC would be as appealing, you know, uh, if they maybe adapted the rules to a way <laughs> that the public at large can kind of have, you know, more of the chances of seeing people getting knocked out here and there. You know, yeah. The nature of the business. But just the fact that Damian Maya finishes most of his fights unharmed, although he did get hit in the eyes, he got some swollen eyes here and there. Yeah. You know, he was not, you know, damaged. To him. He, he was, he, you know, he hasn't been great yeah, so has. far. It just Tyrone, with the strategy that he uses, you know, you're going to have to hit him before you grab, grab him. You know, mm -hmm. Kind of like you and shit. Yeah. It's interesting that you, bought a, uh, that you brought up the rounds because um, I want to say a couple of years ago, George St. Pierre, uh, he actually came up with the idea of just getting rid of rounds altogether. You know, you make um, regular matches just 15 minutes straight and um, uh, championship matches just 25 minutes straight. Yeah. Well, um, I tell you what, man, that's reality right there. I yeah. think it, probably you're going to see more finishes mm -hmm. if it was like that. Because uh, how many fights have you seen recently that uh, some guys are saved by the bell? Yeah. There, you know, uh, so many of those fights, you know, they'll be the, have been the case. Yeah, yeah absolutely. They, I think you'd see a lot more of them. No, and, and that's yeah. actually what uh, St. Pierre predicted, too. He said uh, yeah. you'd see a lot more finishes if um, they just got rid of rounds. Yeah, and I think what you just would be great because... A lot of times you are on the verge of getting a submission, and then the round ends. You get to start the whole thing over again. You have to stand up, clinch the guy, take the guy down, and then get the guy in a submission. So you start the whole work again. And how much time sometimes it takes for you, even when you do the takedown, you know, to kind of transition into a situation where you can do the submission. You know, mm -hmm. it takes some work because most guys they will not be in the octagon without any jujitsu. Everybody we'll have some jiu-jitsu grappling training mm -hmm. no matter what, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and um, uh, speaking of jiu-jitsu competitions, um, do you pay attention to a lot of them? I mean, are there any particular competitions that you usually pay attention to, like yeah. IBJJF, ADCC? Yeah, I, I went to the last world, IBJJF. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I've seen the ABIs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they have some students that have... Uh, that are interactive and trained, that compete in those events. So uh, I'm familiar with all the formats, and uh, I think it's it's nice to see more attempts to um, give the competitors the chance to finish the match. Yeah. I think uh, Eddie Bravo did the eye.
uh, he had an idea that maybe evolved a little better than what the original Metamorphosis was aiming to. Because Metamorphosis had more time, but same format as IBJJF. Although he didn't count the points, they both had keys, and then there was a certain degree sometimes of uh, uh, stalling, you know, that took place. Uh, and uh, with it, I think also the fact that it's no key becomes more dynamic. Yeah. And then you have the overtime rules where people can see a conclusion, you know, if that doesn't happen throughout the normal time limit. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, actually I was just talking to Eddie Bravo, I want to say about two or three days ago. And um, mm -hmm. one of the questions I asked him was uh, whether or not he thought that um, uh, jiu-jitsu would ever be on the level that MMA is on now. I mean, you know, 30 years ago, mixed martial arts was this little underground sport. Now you have the UFC and even Bellator playing for, or fighting for, um, or performing for um, audiences at Madison Square Garden. And I asked him if, I, if he thought that uh, jiu-jitsu would ever get to that point. And he said yes, but not with the gi. Uh, he said that, you know, the only type of jiu-jitsu that would get to that level was no-gi jiu-jitsu. Because mm -hmm. according to him, gi jiu-jitsu, it's kind of like chess, you know. It's, mm -hmm. it's a very intellectual game, but it's just not fun to watch. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it's funny because uh, he actually mentioned your brother, uh, Jean-Jacques, who's, of course, his instructor. And he's like... Man, even John Jacques doesn't want to watch gi jiu jitsu. <laughs> so, but, well, uh, yeah. this is not a problem of jiu jitsu or the gi. Yeah. It's a problem of the format of the tournament and the rules. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I think jiu jitsu with the gi can be dynamic if you change the rules a little bit. Like, for instance, uh, I was talking about the 50 50 guard that a lot of times people can use that as a strategy to hold the guy down. You have all those different situations where people stall here and there. And then, like for instance, Eddie Bravo, he did a, a format that, hey, those guys are going to grapple. They can try to submit each other. Time is up. We start from a, a position where you have actually a good chance of submitting one another. Mm -hmm. You can uh, from, make a format for... Uh, Jiu-Jitsu, that kind of gives more opportunity for the athletes to show what they know, what they're about, if, if the regular rules do not do enough, mm -hmm. you know. Now, the scale of an IBJJF tournament with thousands of uh, competitors, I, I think it's hard, I guess, with that set of rules for you to accommodate uh, that number of competitors, uh, and if you have to change the rules, I guess you have to make a, an elite group of jiu-jitsu fighters mm -hmm. and then have those guys with a format of rules that actually give a new dimension to the combat, you know, to the fight, to the point where they're going to be in, with the opportunities to actually bid, you know, there's not going to be any stalling. Uh, if uh, the guy doesn't finish you, uh, sometimes you can switch. It's kind of like what they do with the EBI, but modified, I believe. So um, I had my say on the Abu Dhabi, the ABCC rules. I remember back in the old days uh, when the format was 
you don't score points in the first five minutes, and you can score in the next five minutes. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, so they thought, well, the first five minutes there will be any points, so they're going to try to submit one another. You know, and then if this submission doesn't happen, then we do the fight with points. And then it happened the other way around. The guys waited for the five minutes to be up. And then they start to engage more when he counted, you know, when he could score points in case he didn't get a submission. Mm -hmm. You see sure what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So I would do the other way around. I would say, do points first. Mm -hmm. And the first five minutes, you count points. And the next five minutes is only submission. The reason being is, if somebody is ahead on points, they're going to have to move to score points, whoever is fighting. And if somebody scored points in the first five minutes and there was no submission, the only other way that whoever has the advantage in points could make up is by trying to submit the other guy. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, so yeah. just by changing the format right there, you know, you would have altered the dynamic of the fight altogether. Because yeah. even on the Dabba a lot of times, you see guys, I remember watching Jeff Monson, who has been, was very successful in the beginning. He had a strong wrestling background, you know, strongest you know, as a, a, a Hulk, and then uh, you just wait, time the five minutes, and then when it was point, you do a take down here, take down there, start to take on points, and then manage the fight from, you know, on, on the ground, and win the fight. He won several AGCC titles using that strategy. A lot of wrestlers actually succeeded with that, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, I'm not saying that was limited just to wrestlers. I mean, even just guys, they would cruise along the first five minutes, and just try to fight and do something when points were, were counted. Mm -hmm. you know what I'm so, yeah. so for me, I I understand the idea of Eddie Bravo and where he comes from, and I, I understand his reason. And from that perspective, I would agree with him. If the format and the rules existing in Jiu-Jitsu were the same and no format has been changed, uh, it would be hard to appeal to a larger crowd or be mainstream and put on ESPN. If you're watching two guys on 50-50 for nine minutes, yeah. and then on the last minute, they fight for advantages instead of fighting for, for, you know, for, for submission. You know, you see guys a lot of times, great fighters, they don't fight for nine minutes, and then on the last minute, they go all out. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. like, I would understand why you become kind of hard to watch all those fights, you know. I, I know I see why you drop, you know, doesn't enjoy as much. Okay, yeah. Now, I mean, <laughs> um, some people, um, yeah, even some pretty high-ranking black belts, um, they say that uh, competition jiu-jitsu has kind of ruined jiu-jitsu for self-defense. Like, there are a lot of schools that are focusing too much on um, competition jiu-jitsu and not enough for jiu-jitsu for self-defense. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you think there's, like, a big difference between jiu-jitsu for competition and jiu-jitsu for self-defense, or is it all just jiu-jitsu? All right. I'll tell you what the difference is. Uh, let's say you're being guard, uh, jiu-jitsu guard. And then I tell the guy on top, all right, please, you can slap the other guy uh, while he's being guard with you. Try to break free from his grip and slap him. Right there, the dynamic change. So it's not jiu-jitsu itself, it's the format. You know, you, you tell the guy what the rules of, rules of engagement are, and I take you have to always think in terms of how do I get hit or hurt 
if like for instance a lot of guys they go for uh, the 50-50 guard mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and when you can punch somebody on the face you know it changes changes a lot the dynamic right there you know so so there will be certain things that they will have to skip or adapt so they wouldn't be susceptible you know mm -hmm. but and also another thing if your grip only depends on the gi you have the warm guard mm -hmm. right so now what if the guy can hit you and you don't have a jacket i like to put the students to train one guy with the gi and one guy without the gi oh, wow. i want the guy that has the gi to be limited by giving the other guy the opportunity to hold him in any possible way with advantage of grips mm -hmm. but at the same time compensate when he tries to control the other guy not have to the same benefit you know of having the gi that's a very good thing and so and you know and then when you add the strike like if you do a mount skate an upa skate when all mm -hmm. you guys trying to do is hold your collar for a choke it's it's one dynamic I, I i i don't teach people to do the upa i teach people to spin under one one the first thing i do if i do a mount scape, i want to take the guy's balance mm -hmm. if the guy doesn't have balance one he's less susceptible to submit me second if it was a self-defense situation he's less susceptible to strike me and even if it did you wouldn't be as powerful as if he's in balance mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying so so the, the the equation there you can teach the same concept and just adjust when you get hit in the head and when it's okay for you to go just for the submission without hitting the guy so i think this is an education process yeah. and maybe some instructors will have that knowledge others May, may focus so much just on the judicial rules that they neglect or don't care so much about the self-defense part because they feel their marketing for their school should be focused on making champions for IBJJF tournaments, which I don't have a problem with that. I think competition has uh, a motivational aspect. It has, you can't have a marketing aspect, but you can't deny a student the ability to learn what they need in case they have to fight somebody who's actually going to hit him. Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? So, so for you, if you're doing the training, you have to ask your partner, he doesn't have to hurt you, say, hey, stop slapping the head, well, not too hard, but all I'm going to do, I'm going to block you when I'm doing that with you. That's like very self-defense 101. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then from there, you, you, you can't evolve from any position. You know, so. So, um, speaking of uh, slapping, what do you think of Eddie Bravo's um, combat jiu-jitsu? Um, he once described it as, quote-unquote, uh, keeping jiu-jitsu honest. Uh, do you think it will have that effect on jiu-jitsu? Like, if more schools start practicing, like, a, you know, jiu-jitsu with slaps, will that help keep the art more, I mean, honest, as uh, Eddie Bravo put it? I think when you develop the mechanics of a move, uh, you, you know, for self-defense aspect, you have to do it, taking consideration, protecting yourself, not getting hit, or minimizing the impact, uh, being out of harm's way, let's say. Uh, but certain times when you're doing the drills, you might have to develop the mechanics first uh, without the slap, and then include that on a situation where you can use with the self-defense. So it's a study. It's a study. You just do the study. Like any science. It has to be done in a scientific way, yeah. you know. You, you, and you have a. I give an example. You, you know, people concentrate on using the hands. I like to use the forearm and the elbows when I do escapes. The hands, I, I, I don't push people. I actually pull people when I'm trying to escape. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And I feel it helps me so much more because I keep the guys close to me and I can still push myself away from the guy uh, and, and, and move my hips and do a regular stretch skate with way more results than doing with the pushing. Just an example right there. You know? mm-hmm. I wouldn't have not been able to develop that idea if I didn't practice the drills from a jiu-jitsu When I say jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu is one. But with the perspective of developing the mechanics, without worrying yet about the hit part. Mm-hmm. And just putting that together with self-defense afterwards when the mechanics is flowing. You know what I'm saying? So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And of course... But, but I, I, I agree with him in terms that... I don't know. I, I guess you have to see. You know, uh, but I do feel you, you got to learn how to protect yourself. You know, and there's no other way of doing it unless you have the rules of engagement change for you to have to have the now the you have to perform taking consideration the guy's gonna slap you. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's not a bad thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Uh, last question. Um, Hicks and Gracie, uh, he was your uh, cousin, was uh, recently um, promoted to a red belt. Um, mm-hmm. He did get a little bit of criticism in the jiu-jitsu community because he went right from the uh, red and black belts to red belts. Um, yeah. why, why do you think that uh, they chose to just um, give him the red belt right away instead of giving him the red and white belt? Uh, well, I tell you what, if you, if you could read what is in the mind of every member <laughs> of my family, my yeah. cousin. Uh, I know his brother, Hoyer, wanted to give him a surprise. I was there. I, I did film on my FaceTime. I mean, my Facebook Live. I did yeah, a Facebook yeah. Live on my page. And uh, it was more like uh, I didn't discuss with Hoyer the behind. Uh, he gave me his account why he wanted to do it, and I respected it, and I committed to be there, so was my brothers and back. Mm-hmm. And quite a few of the core belts, I could have solid, yeah. you know, Carlos Valente, you know, uh, several other, you know, uh, Fabio Santos, you yeah. know, guys that have been in the game for the longest time. And the, the common, uh, I guess, consensus there was, this is above, above question, uh, whatever, but, but at the same time, he himself, uh, because of his federation, Global Jiu-Jitsu Federation, he's creating standards that you know, he wants everybody to abide by. So uh, at that time, he was giving a speech about what he wanted to do, you know, and his idea was to make sure that everybody had a standard that they, they could refer to. Uh, but then halfway into it, you know, Royal reiterated and Master... Albert Barreto, who is a direct student for a red belt, direct student from late Master Henry Gracie, said if your dad was here, he would have awarded you. You know, he's, I mean, are you going to overrule your dad? You know, because it's, it's not just the time that normally it takes for somebody to get to a belt, but uh, the amount of contribution that Hitler himself has given to Jiu-Jitsu for all his life, you know. But with that said, I have a point to make when, you, when it comes to this. Uh, I'm not sure what the criteria is with the different organizations, but I think it shouldn't be based just on time. Mm-hmm. For instance, if you get a black belt today, and let's say three years from now is the anniversary of the day you got your black belt, you automatically become 
eligible for a degree. Mm-hmm. And then the other, another three years, another degree. And after the third degree, it's every four years or five years and so on. But does it matter if you do any jujitsu at all or if you, if you just don't do any of it, but you keep, uh, I guess, your membership current mm-hmm. with uh, whatever federation that grants you the rank? And, and you don't have to necessarily be engaged in the art. And for me, I think that when you look at martial arts, uh, if you don't have actor, you know, role and engagement, practicing and evolving, growing, you cannot get a rank. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because you have to be assessed at one point in time. And, you know, so I don't know how it works. I haven't investigated right now. But I know that. I, I feel that it's something that I have a problem with. If uh, you become a black belt and then you, let's say you're a couch potato, you don't actually step on the map anymore, and then three years from now, five years from now, you get a degree. That's an honorary degree for me. It's not a real degree. You know what I'm saying? Unless you are involved in the art. So this is the way I see it. You know, but, like I said, I can't stay for artists. Because, and I'm not referring to Hickson, because Hickson, he's, he leaves a beast to give. For me, I will not, I will not contest whether Hickson stays a red belt, as it is, or if he decides to put uh, his other uh, coral belt and just wear that when he's 65, or whatever time that he enforces on his global federation. And I'm sure, uh, Chris, that everybody will have an opinion. Everybody say this, everybody say that. You know, and I'm sure there are disagreements that unless they all sit down and agree with a policy and a standard that everybody can abide for, there's going to always be one side or one faction that's going to act in a certain way and see things in a certain way and others that are going to do it in a different way. And if there's no communication or a bridge between everybody, each one will be doing their own thing and then uh, we're here in the middle trying to figure out what's going on. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I do believe there has to be a standard. I don't care about, look, for me, time, I don't care if it takes 50 years for you to get a, a, a coral belt or a red belt. But I think you should be engaged as an instructor, teaching, trying to improve upon yourself, living the lifestyle of jiu-jitsu, and leaving a legacy that your students can follow. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, but, but like I said, I, I don't have the answer to some of those questions yet. Because I don't have the information mm-hmm. from Hickson's perspective, uh, why he wants to do it, don't want to do it. But he was honored with the fact that we all took the time to see him. I will honor Hickson anytime. I think he's a legend. I think he's somebody that has done so much. Uh, he's an incredible human being. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think that what happens is if people just sat with Hickson, just to listen to him, you know, when he tells you about jujitsu. He doesn't explain the technique. Uh, for instance, I remember one thing he said was when he skates from the mount, he grabs somebody's arm and he glues to his body. And all of a sudden, the arm is no longer hit, uh, the, the other guy's arm. It's his arm. Mm-hmm. So as long as you make contact, that limb becomes yours. And that's how the octopus theory in Jiu-Jitsu takes place. You know? Mm-hmm. You have two arms and two legs, but if you glue the guy's arm to your body, all of a sudden, their arm belongs to you. Yes. And that's how he builds his stakes based upon. You know what I'm saying? He takes the guy's power and adds to his own. So when you talk to him about something like that, the average person might not even grasp. But that's the conversation that I want to have. I'll, 
hold up, Terry Hickson just talked to me. I didn't even have to roll with me. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Luckily, I'm his cousin, and then he's gracious enough that he'll give me advice for free if I ask. Mm -hmm. That I wouldn't mind paying because I think it's gold. Yeah. And that thing right there, I use that for my own in so many instances, and I'd be able to actually improve my students' skates to another level just from a casual conversation. Yeah. So you want to try to get into the politics of the belt and this and that, go sit down and talk to the guy about your future, and you're going to be surprised. Absolutely. You know, it doesn't blow your mind. Absolutely. Yeah. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, well, Master Carlos, so, uh, listen, we can't make the video too long or else it's just never going to upload. So uh, thank you so much for your time tonight. Uh, any parting okay. words you want to say to our readers or uh, before right. you go? Or? All right. I want to thank you and your just time for your incredible work. I think you guys are a great blog, a great uh, tool, vehicle and platform to promote, I believe, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu the way it should be. You're unbiased and you kind of try to give coverage the way it is and give everybody a chance to express their opinions. I'm honored to be at the show today. And uh, if I can just say in full plug, anybody who comes to Dallas, Austin J. Machado, is, uh, we're always welcoming. Uh, we have students from all parts of the country and abroad that come and visit us. I will take good care of you. It's free coffee and free Wi-Fi at the SJ Machado Academy, and I'll do my best to make sure that you're a good guest anytime you come by. I did write a book a while back that talks specifically about Jiu-Jitsu from a philosophical perspective. It's called Putting the Pieces Together. It's on Amazon, it's by me, and it's sometimes it says, uh, things I wish I knew before I got my back kicked. You know, so it's kind of like putting the pieces together. And there's one chapter dedicated to Jiu-Jitsu that I think I'd like to honor uh, what I inherited from late master Harry Gracie and my uncle, Carlos Gracie, who I did have the opportunity to leave under the same ceiling as going to college in Rio de Janeiro for five years in a row. So I got uh, hands-on lessons straight from the source right there. And some of the knowledge that I gained, I put in quotes and essays on that particular book. Mm. So just check it out. Oh. We will, absolutely. And uh, thank you so much for that promotion. The honor is all ours because it's, uh, of course, a huge honor to be talking to one of the legends of uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, from one of the most legendary families in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It is just such an honor. Thank you so much for the uh, time you've spent with us, and uh, we hope to talk to you again in the future. Yes, my friend. Thank you so much. I uh, look forward to talking to you as well. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye.